Good morning. Welcome back to Westside Foursquare Church. This is the last Sunday in November. Uh, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. It's been a weird Thanksgiving, but I hope you had a good one. And uh, now it's the beginning of Christmas season. That's awesome. That's my favorite time of the year. And we're glad that you joined us this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, this morning, um, we're going to talk a little more. We're going to kind of continue what we did the last three weeks, although it's going to be a little different. Uh, the last three weeks, we really talked about um, the God gospel that Jesus taught, because there's another uh, gospel, quote unquote, that's being taught these days, a couple of different things. Um, and really what Jesus taught was a gospel of repentance and stewardship and responsibility. And so we talked about um, when God invites us into relationship with him, which is only made possible through the redemptive act of Jesus Christ on the cross, um, in order to make that, uh, in order for us to take him up on that offer of relationship, we actually have a part to play in that. Um, when God offers that relationship to us, Jesus said that we had to repent, and that means that we have to change our thinking. We have to stop thinking the way we used to and start thinking in a new way, in a kingdom way, in a way that is relationship. In the same way, when I got married, I had to stop thinking like a single person and start thinking like a married person. I had to stop thinking in, a, in uh, terms of what do I want, what can I do, what am I going to plan, and I had to start thinking about everything in relation to my relationship with my wife. And in the same way, when God invites us into relationship with Him, we have to stop thinking in the way that we used to think. We have to stop thinking as independent people and start thinking of ourselves as in relationship with the God of the universe. Um, and really what that means is we bring our kingdom, because every human being has a kingdom, every human being has, some, has things that are under their control, and what we do is we bring our kingdom under His kingdom. And so we have to repent, first of all. And then we talked about, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of stewardship. When you enter into relationship with someone, especially a covenant relationship like marriage or the relationship that we enter into with God, um, suddenly there's a shift in ownership. There's a shift in control. When I entered into marriage with my wife, suddenly everything she had became mine as well, and everything I had became hers as well. And so what happens is you actually take on a responsibility of stewardship for those things that, are not that were not necessarily yours, and you allow stewardship for the things that were yours. And it's the same way when God invites us into relationship. God takes on a stewardship to keep us and the things that belong to us, and we enter into a stewardship to keep Him. And we actually give Him everything, even our bodies and our minds and our expectations and our thoughts. And so what happens is we have to shift our thinking that we are becoming stewards of our bodies. It's not just my body anymore. I enter into an intimate relationship with God. Now my body belongs to Him. Just as He gave His body on the cross for me, now my body becomes His. My thoughts become His. The, the items that I own and the control I have in this world becomes His, and I become a steward of those things. And then finally, last week, we talked about 
the responsibility that is involved in having a relationship with and following Christ. We have a responsibility because the only way to mature a human being is to give them the weight of responsibility. And so when God goes to mature us and grow us, and if you read the scriptures, you'll see that God's main purpose for your life, for your life and for my life is that we will mature and that we will grow. We will grow up into the image of Christ Jesus, who is the ultimate level of maturity. He is the ultimate level of responsibility. And so we take on responsibility. And all of this is, is uh, reminding us that the gospel that Jesus taught, that his followers continued, the gospel that is in the scriptures, we have a part to play in that. It isn't God doing everything and we just sit by passively. We actually have a part to play in living out the gospel that God gave us. Today, I want to talk a little bit more about what ends up resulting in that, and that is having to do with culture. Culture is extremely important in every life. Everyone lives in multiple cultures, okay? Uh, my wife right now for her uh, master's degree course is talking about the importance of culture within a school system because a culture will produce either good results or poor results based on the culture. Um, often I've found that we try and, um, when we want to get better results from our life, or better results in our marriage, or, or even better results within a church or an organization, we focus all our time and energy on the results, and we don't focus on the culture that's producing those results. And if you don't have a healthy culture, you won't have good fruit out of that culture. And I want to talk a little bit today about culture. Culture is defined as the customs, arts, social institutions and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. So the customs, arts, and social institutions and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. Now this definition specifically refers to things like the way people dress, the music they listen to, the language that they speak, um, their expectations, that kind of thing. And there are multiple cultures. Each one of us lives within multiple cultures. A nation has a culture that's based on its shared history, that's based on its customs, that's based on its language. Ethnicities have cultures that sometimes span multiple nations. And an, an ethnicity may have culture based on shared histories, based on experiences, based on location, etc. But you know what? Even families have cultures. Your nuclear family has a specific family culture. I don't know if you've ever gone and, and uh, spent time with another family and been struck at how different that family is and how they think differently, they joke differently, they uh, may keep their house differently. Um, even walking into another person's kitchen, you will find the effects of culture. I don't know, you know... Uh, I don't know who lived in the house you're in before you did, but I'll bet they kept their silverware in a different drawer. 
You know, they may have kept their baking goods in a different cabinet than you keep yours in. And all of that is part of culture and families have different cultures. Right now we're entering into the holiday season and there are a few times of year where you see different family cultures more starkly than in the holiday season. One of the big challenges of entering into a marriage covenant with another person is that you come out of one family culture, they come out of a different family culture, and now the two of you have to figure out what is your culture? What does your culture look like? And that is often really, really magnified when it comes to the holidays. A lot of times a couple will get married and they don't if they haven't had a lot of discussion about it beforehand, there are some pretty big surprises when Christmas comes. For instance, in my wife's family culture, they didn't put the Christmas tree up or the presents around it until Christmas Eve. In my family culture, we had the Christmas tree up usually the week after Thanksgiving, and as soon as you bought a present, you wrapped it and stuck it under the tree, and it sat there taunting you for week after week after week until Christmas came, okay? And so when we got married, we had to figure out how that culture was going to work because we had very different expectations. And so families have cultures. And so you live in multiple cultures every day. Okay? You live in the culture of your ethnicity, you live in the culture of your nation, you live in the culture of your family. If you go to work at a business, that work has a culture. Okay? And so we walk in multiple cultures, but so far we've only discussed culture in the most shallow level of that discussion. So far, even with this definition of cultures, it only talks about the outward effects of a culture. The dress, the language, the way you interact with other people, where you put your silverware, what you do on holidays, all of those are actually only the very surface level of what a culture is. They're really the external trappings of culture. Culture at its most fundamental is something that is rooted in our thoughts and in our identity. And all those other things come out of the way that we see ourselves as we put ourselves into a culture. culture a cultural identity is the way a person thinks about themselves in the context of belonging to a specific group. And really all those other trappings that we talk about are extensions of cultural identity. The reason why you have people from a similar culture will all dress the same is because on the inside they are all embracing the same cultural identity. The reason why you have families that will behave in a specific way is because on the inside, in their minds and in their hearts, they have embraced a cultural identity that is part of that particular family unit. The reason why people within a certain company will behave a certain way, even when it comes down to their ethical behavior, all comes down to the culture of that company. For instance, um, let's take a, a company that could have very different cultures. 
uh, let's take a car dealership, okay? When a salesman works for a car dealership, he's going to walk in the cultural identity of that dealership. Now, there are car dealerships out there, believe it or not, that are very honest, and they have, they're led by people who establish a very high expectation for ethical behavior, that have a very high uh, customer service mindset. And all the people who come to be a part of that culture are, and adopt that cultural identity are going to tend to behave in a way that reflects that culture. They're going to be ethical. They're going to be honest. They're only going to sell cars that they know that they can trust to put in people's hands. They're not going to try and bump up their interest rate, okay? But then there are other car dealerships. And again, I'm using car dealerships because you can have a really wide spectrum. There are other car dealerships where the culture of the leadership is going to be uh, unethical and where their main priority is going to be making money. And so the people who come and work for that car dealership are going to adopt that cultural identity that I'm here to make as much money as I can and make as much money off the customer as I possibly can and then I'll never see them again and I don't care. And so really culture and the things that we label as culture most of the time are just the things that we can hear and that we can see in reality, culture is something that is in the heart of a group of people. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? And we can't lose sight of the fact that culture is really something that happens in here and in here. Culture, your cultural identity is something that happens on the inside. Now, nowadays... There's a whole lot of emphasis put on the externals of a culture. In fact, um, you can see once in a while where celebrities will get in trouble for what's called cultural appropriation, okay? So you'll have a celebrity who is um, Caucasian, but they'll have their hair done in a way that reflects maybe uh, African-American culture. And then suddenly they become this object of criticism, this target of criticism, because they're appropriating another culture, okay? Um, and listen, the truth is that if you appropriate the trappings of another culture out of disrespect... That's wrong, okay? If you, uh, in a way that's disrespectful or in a way that is somehow minimizing another culture and you, you grab something out of their culture and use it in a disrespectful way, that's wrong. But you know what? The, the trappings of that culture are not the point. The point is the disrespect. The point is, what we, is the idea that we have on the inside. It's not how, how we... Uh, it's not the outside trappings. It's the disrespect they have on the inside, okay? Now, when we accept the invitation into God's family, God has a culture. God himself has a culture. And that is because God is a triune being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's a culture there within the Godhead. Now, culture requires multiple people. You have to have multiple people in order to create a culture. 
God, because he is a triune being, which I'm not even going to try and explain, okay? God's, the, the triune nature of God is something that is beyond our capacity to fully grasp. And you know what? I'm okay with that because I don't want a God that I can fully grasp anyway. That would not be a God worthy of my worship. But because God is a triune being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in eternal relationship with each other, they have a culture that is a reflection of the character of God himself. And when we are invited to enter into relationship with God, we are invited to enter into his family culture. And it all comes down to the way God thinks. It comes down to his perspective. Because remember, culture is rooted in the way we think, and it's rooted in our identity. Now, we can get very distracted by the trappings of culture, okay? Um, and this is especially true in religious communities. Religious communities can get so off track and so uh, focused on the trappings of their religious culture that they lose sight of the identity of who they are in Christ. One of my heroes of the faith is St. Patrick. St. Patrick was part of the Roman Catholic Church in the early centuries of the church. And back then, they had a philosophy that when you go into a new culture to bring the gospel, that your goal was to basically make that culture look like your culture. Okay, They would actually go in and try and Romanize the culture. They would go in and teach them how to speak Latin. They would go in and teach them how to dress like Romans. They would teach them how to cook like Romans. They would teach them how to behave like Romans. And while they were doing that, they would also give them the gospel, but they had it all wrapped up together. They had it all wrapped up that the gospel and becoming Romanized were the same thing. And you couldn't have one without the other. And that actually lasted for century after century after century. When you look at the history of Spanish colonization, where the Spanish monks and Spanish priests would go into a new culture, they would try and erase the previous culture and replace it with a European culture. In the state of New Mexico, that was especially egregious. In fact, the local um, Native Americans in New Mexico actually threw the Spanish out because the Spanish were trying to eradicate their culture, and make everybody behave like they were Spanish. St. Patrick, on the other hand, he had a supernatural call from God to go and reach the Irish. And because St. Patrick had adopted the culture of God in his thinking and in his heart, when he went in to evangelize the Irish... He went in with a culture, a God culture of love and compassion for the Irish. And what happened was that God produced a new cultural reflection of his body. There was a new reflection of the church of Jesus Christ reflected through the Irish culture. 
And the Roman Catholics back in Rome had a real problem with St. Patrick because St. Patrick would go in and he contextualized the gospel. In other words, he didn't try and take the trappings of the church in. He didn't try and take the trappings of culture in. He took the cultural identity, God's cultural identity, and he took that to the Irish. Do you see the difference? And in doing so, what happened is that the Irish embraced their cultural identity in Christ. And as it was reflected through their ethnic culture, it actually created an Irish church that was absolutely founded on the scripture, absolutely founded on the cultural culture of the kingdom, but was reflected in the context of their own ethnicity. I believe that God loves that. I believe that's specifically why the scriptures tell us that when we get to heaven, every tribe, nation, and tongue will be represented in the kingdom of God because God loves diversity as long as it's founded on the principles of his culture. Okay, and so I want to talk about his culture a little bit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, flip or click with me. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what happens is when we enter into relationship with Jesus, our old cultural identity passes away. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the ethnic reflections of our identity. It means our identity as human beings in the old culture of the world, which is established on self-rule, selfishness, selfish gain, putting yourself first. That passes away and we take on a new identity, a new cultural identity based on the culture of God. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. 1 John 3, 1. Remember, God within the Godhead has a culture that is based strictly on His character. In, in our ethnic cultures or in the cultures of our families, it's, it's based on behavior God's behavior is always directly tied to his character. So the culture of God that we're invited into is actually based on his character. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You remember I talked about when you enter into a marriage covenant, you come from one culture and you come into a new culture. Okay? Well, this is what it's talking about here. God the Father has adopted us as his children, and so we come into a new family culture. Um, my wife's family and my family have something in common, and that is we, we both have adopted siblings. One of the main challenges with, a, with children who become adopted into a family is this question of culture, especially if the child is an older child, preteen, teen. It becomes especially difficult because you're bringing this child who has a cultural identity in their heart and mind, and you're bringing them into a new family culture. Now, the new family culture could be as healthy as you could possibly want, but there is this challenge where the child has to decide whether they're going to cling to their previous cultural identity or whether they're going to leave behind the bad things in their previous identity, bring with them the positives of their cultural identity, and adopt and, and bring it into the new cultural identity of the family. Now, this has all kinds of uh, challenges because often the older child will remember their previous parents and so there's a sense of guilt in abandoning their old culture and adopting the new one, okay? Um, so there's lots of challenges in, in this adopted child coming into a new family culture. If that child can find a way to reinvest their personal identity into this new family culture. And if the adoptive parents are wise enough to allow them to bring with them the positive things out of their past cultural identity and allow those to be integrated into the new family identity, then it can actually be a really healthy, good, loving thing. And what but that family culture, that family has to allow their culture to be changed as well, okay? God invites us, he calls us his children. There's, the Bible even refers to it as an adoption, but we have to make that same journey that an adopted child in the physical has to make, and we have to be willing to let go of the things in our past cultural identity that are unhealthy and that are in conflict with the new culture. And that's a choice that we have to make. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to shine the light of truth on our previous cultural identity and show us the things about our previous cultural identity that, that conflict with God's character. Okay? So um, I'm going to use an example. My, uh, my ethnicity is Irish. Okay? And I'm going to talk about 
Um, Irish stereotypes a little bit. I'm going to talk about Irish cultural expectations a little bit. And I'm, I'm confident using Irish culture because the Irish are pretty tough. We don't get offended. Okay? There are some people out there that if you at all examine their cultural identity, they immediately get offended and feel judged. All right, The Irish typically don't do that. An Irishman can walk down the, the grocery aisle, the cereal aisle at the grocery store, and see this egregious appropriation of Irish culture on a box of Lucky Charms, and they just don't care, all right? So I'm going to use the Irish culture now as, a, as an example, okay? So say you have an Irish person who is entrenched in Irish culture, and that Irish culture is their identity, okay? Now say they come from a worldly version of the Irish culture. And so... Um, not to try and highlight a stereotype, but it is part of the Irish culture to drink alcohol, okay? And often it goes to extremes. It's part of Irish culture to, um, to uh, what's called slag people that you like, okay? Um, it's actually part of Irish culture to drag people down whenever they get lifted up because we don't want them to feel too prideful of themselves, all right? It's also part of Irish culture that you invite people into your home. It's part of Irish culture. There's an old saying that uh, an Irish home has elastic walls. There's always room for one more person to come in and join the group. Okay, The Irish are very good at... Um, um, it takes time to trust and build relationship, but they want to do that. Okay? So you take a person who's unsaved and they get brought into and invited into the culture of the kingdom. Now, when they get brought in, it is they have the privilege of bringing in with them all of the aspects of their previous culture that fit in the kingdom of God, and it becomes a new reflection of the kingdom as you add that diversity into it. But you would not bring drunkenness into this new culture. Does that make sense? Because the scriptures specifically tell us that we shouldn't be drunk. Because when we're drunk, we're giving our brains over to our bodies. We're yielding our brains to our bodies instead of having them submitted to the Holy Spirit. Okay, We're giving up control of our bodies to a chemical rather than giving control of our bodies to the Holy Spirit. And so you would not bring the negative aspects of the culture in, but the positive aspects of the culture you would bring in with you. And that's what St. Patrick did, is he said, look, there's many aspects of Irish culture that fit in the kingdom of God. Bring those with you. Okay? Now, each one of us, remember, each one of us lives in multiple cultures. We have our ethnic culture. We have our national culture, we have our family culture, we have our work culture, etc. Walking into the culture of the kingdom of God, it is incumbent upon us. We have a responsibility to leave behind the aspects of our cultures that do not line up with God's kingdom 
and instead embrace the cultures of God's kingdom. For instance, I've known people, uh, having been in pastoral ministry for 30 years, I've known people who have said things like this to me. Well, I'm just an angry person. My mom was angry. My grandmother was angry. And so I'm just an angry person. It's just part of who I am. No, it's not part of who you are. It's part of your cultural identity. But you choose whether that's part of who you are. Because the scriptures tell us that the the culture of the kingdom of God has patience and peace and that you love other people, okay? I've heard people say, well, I'm just a worrier. You know, my mother was a worrier and I'm just a worrier. I can't help it. It's who I am. Well, that's not true. You're invited out of that aspect of your previous cultural identity into a kingdom culture where it says that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But you know what? Just like that child that's adopted into a new family, we have to intentionally make the choices that will help us reject those negative aspects of our cultural identity and replace them with the positive aspects of the kingdom culture. Is this all making sense? This is something that we have to choose to do. We can choose that I'm going to change. I'm not going to remain an angry person. Now, does that mean that we make the choice and instantly we're changed? No, of course not. It took years to ingrain that culture into you. And it will take time for the Holy Spirit to replace it with a kingdom culture. But are we in the process? Have I made the decision that I will repent of my old culture? In other words, I will change the way I think about myself. And I will start thinking of myself in my new kingdom identity rather than my human identity. Yes, my mother was a worrier, you might say. But my father in heaven is never worried. Yes, my my father was an angry man, but my heavenly father is at peace all the time. Or whatever other negative aspect of my previous culture that I'm rejecting, what I do is I start changing the way I think. Remember, culture starts here, okay? The clothing you wear... The, the way you speak, all those other cultural trappings are just the external fruit of what's going on in your mind and what's going in, on in your heart. That's why Scripture is constantly telling us to pay attention to our mind. Think on these things, not on these things. Have a mind set on the Spirit, not on the flesh. Why? Because everything that we do is rooted in how we think. Now, just like when the Holy Spirit, what happens is God invites us into his kingdom, right? We're we're not saved would be the common term for it, okay? We're outside of relationship with Jesus. Jesus invites us into his kingdom. We hear the invitation. We repent. We change. I'm no longer going to be this way. Now I'm going to enter into relationship with Jesus. What happens? Is that all that takes place? 
No, what happens at that point? When we turn and repent, what happens at that point? We start a new journey, but the Holy Spirit actually comes in and does a miracle work and resurrects our spirit. So yes, we repent, we change the way we think, we walk away from our old selfish life, we walk into relationship with Christ, and at that point, the Holy Spirit comes in and does a miracle inside of us. And resurrects our spirit from the dead. Where we were dead, now we become alive in Christ Jesus. Okay, And that's a miracle. That's not something we can do. In the same way, as we repent of our old culture, as we repent of our old cultural identity, and re remember, repent just means to change the way you think. When we repent of our cultural identity, every step of repentance we make to walk away from our old culture and to embrace the new culture, the Holy Spirit meets us and does a miracle transformation work in our mind and in our hearts. Right. We turn away from the old way and we focus our mind on the new things of God, the new cultural identity. We embrace that cultural identity. The Holy Spirit comes in and transforms our minds. But we have to make that decision. Sometimes we have to make that decision every day to reject our old identity and embrace the new one. Sometimes we need to make that decision every hour. If you're rejecting an aspect of, um, say you're rejecting an aspect of your old cultural identity of anger or, we're, or worry, do you know what another um, poisonous culture uh, is? Is apathy and indifference. There are entire family cultures where we don't make a difference. We don't, we don't you know, we don't rock the boat. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. We, we don't want to, nobody stands out above anybody else. We don't want to, you know, call attention to ourselves. Where in scripture, we're told to be salt and light in a dark world. In scripture, we're told to take initiative, take the things that God has given us and invest them and make a difference in the world around us. That's another culture we have to turn away from. And every step we take toward that new culture, that new kingdom culture, every time we, we change our mind to think of ourselves in our new cultural identity, the Holy Spirit meets us and does a miracle working act, a miracle working work. That doesn't sound right. He does a miracle work in us to cut off the old ways of thinking and to bring to life in our mind and hearts a new way of thinking. Y'all, this is why I say, read the Word, read the Word, read the Word. We are called, when we're called into discipleship with Christ, this changing of our cultural identity is part of the Christian walk. It has to happen. Turn with me to Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. I love the book of Colossians. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, do what? 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then what does it say? First three words. Set your mind. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are in earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This, this, this three verses right here encapsulates the whole concept of changing your cultural identity. Leave behind your earthly cultural identity and embrace your kingdom cultural identity. But how do we do that? Notice that there's a responsibility here. It says, if then you've been, ra been raised with Christ, remember that's that miracle work the Holy Spirit does when you repent. Okay, What does it say? It says, seek. Seek. That's a commandment. That's a, a directive. Seek. Seek. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then there's another directive. Set your minds. Set your minds. We are so honored and privileged that God has made sure that we have something to assist us in setting our minds. We have the Word of God written down. Set your minds. As followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to trade cultures. To leave behind all of the ungodly, unkingdom-like aspects of our previous culture and replace those with his kingdom culture. We still bring in, there are positives in every culture. Because we're human beings, we're made in the likeness of God. Every culture has reflections of God in it. And we bring those with us but we reject the parts of our old culture that are contrary to God's character, that are contrary to God's culture, His family culture. And we do that. We do that. We have a part to play. We are active in that process. Now, the eventual changing of our minds and our hearts, the eventual transformation is done by the Holy Spirit, but we have a part to play. We enter into a cooperative act with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We seek the things that are above. We set our minds on things that are above. And we have responsibility to take part in that process. We have to learn to see ourselves the way God sees us. We have to learn to see ourselves as chosen, as loved, <coughs> excuse me, as redeemed, as freed from sin, as empowered by the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways we do that is by being in the Word. When we are in the Word, it helps our mind to change and see ourselves in our new cultural identity. So, for our self-check today, am I engaged in this process? Am I actively engaged in this process? 
You know what? I think there's some of you out there that are listening to me, whether you're in this room or you're listening to me on the internet. You know what? You need to get yourself a, a sticky note and you need to write on there trade cultures and put it up on your bathroom mirror to remind yourself to be engaged every day in the process of rejecting what is not God's culture and embracing what is God's culture. Do I have the mindset that, you know what, that's not who I am anymore. I'm not angry anymore. I'm not a worrier. I may choose to worry, but I'm not a worrier. I may choose to allow myself to act out in anger, but I'm not an angry person. I may choose to be apathetic, but I've been made alive in Christ. I'm no longer an apathetic person. And then you think to yourself, so how does a patient person behave? And you behave that way. The Holy Spirit empowers you to behave that way. How does a confident person unafraid person behave and the Holy Spirit empowers you to behave that way? How does a determined, intentional person behave and the Holy Spirit empowers you to behave that way? But are you engaged in that process? Are you thinking about those things? Are you intentionally rejecting the things on earth and setting your mind on the things of heaven? Lord, we thank you that you have set us free from the, the negative aspects of our old cultures. And you have opened up to us the immeasurable grace and goodness of your family culture. And Father, we want to be like you. We want to reflect your culture through our lives. So God, I ask that you would give us... <coughs> excuse me... <coughs> I ask, Lord, that you would give us specific strategies, specific, uh, specific things that we can do to walk in agreement and walk in harmony with the transforming work that you want to accomplish in our lives. And God, I ask that you would give us a hunger for your word. God, the words in this book are not just words. They are powerful. They change us. Would you give us a hunger and a thirst for your word that as we take these words in, they will change the way we think. They will change our personal cultural identity as we embrace yours. We thank you, God, that we're not in this on our own. It's not all up to our strength. It's not all up to our um, willpower. But God, when we do change our thinking, when we do set our minds, you match us with the miracle working grace that accomplishes what we are doing together in cooperation. God, we thank you that we don't have to be trapped by our past. That, God, our lives and our identities can be defined by our future in you. We thank you for it, Lord. And Jesus, as we enter into this Christmas season, we thank you for loving us enough to come down, 
to become one of us, to set us free. As we walk through this Christmas season, let us remember that it's about Jesus. God, we thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do and all that you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So thank you for joining us online this morning. I hope you found this encouraging, maybe a little challenging. Um, if the Word isn't challenging us, there's something wrong because we don't yet match up to the Word. So there should always be some challenge in there. Um, please feel free to like this. Feel free to share it. Feel free to um, uh, subscribe to our channel. Uh, we truly want to see every person receive everything that Jesus purchased for them. And so I want to tell you that we believe in you and we believe in Jesus in you and we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us.